Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are. to get through you better settle in we might go overtime tonight i'm not sure this could this could get very tedious and finicky so i i thank you in advance for your patience to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am Boogie Bumper, your host, hopefully for the next hour or so. Like I said, I think we may go overtime tonight. This could get very finicky and tedious. We could be mulling over the minutiae of one of the most fascinating days that I have ever seen on television. <laughs> I am talking about the fourth time that Mr. Lewandowski, Lewandowski, I better say that correct me, uh, correctly, otherwise my Polish friend will have my head in a potato sack. Corey Lewandowski, the fourth time that he's been invited to Capitol Hill <laughs> to speak to his friends, who they must now be his friends, the Democrat Party, the Republicans. He might he might even have his own office there. I think Corey Lewandowski spends more time in Congress than uh, Stormy Daniels' lawyer. What was his name? Michael Avenatti. More time than Michael Avenatti spent at CNN. It's like every time I put on one of these hearings there's Corey <laughs> Mate, he might be host he might be the MC from now on but I'm telling you man I was watching this stuff for hours and it is <laughs> it's amazing what's going on here and you have to you have to understand like people around the rest of the world are watching this going really this 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 is the most powerful government this is what they've been reduced to it's, I think it's still going right now. They're still grilling this guy. He's a machine. He's been there for about nine hours at this point. Lewandowski. <laughs> no, that's... See, apparently in Polish, Pinochet, if you don't say the... If you say the W's as W's, that's a big faux pas. Like, that's the kind of thing that can get your head hunted. So it's supposed to be Lewandowski. Apparently. Apparently. But I'll yield to the collective wisdom of the audience on that one. So I do have some clips to go through, plus a, a whole bunch of other fun stuff. Um, I don't know how much we're going to get through today because I'm looking at my my computer screens here and I've just got tab after tab after tab after tab. So plenty to get through. Oh, Gary Duncan Miller's back, back in the chat. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, mate. Absolute pleasure to see you there. Yes, I've got Swarble teed up. I've got... Uh, Cheer up, Sicily! Got him ready to go as well. Like I said, I think it's still going. We may as well just get right into it. If you want to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to invite me to Capitol Hill to sit down and be subjected to a grilling, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Let's get into it. 
where is my where the hell is my youtube box there it is so like i said this this thing is still going um this was about 15 minutes ago i think that this particular thing took place this particular <laughs> this particular fun-filled romp uh in congress took place so let's see where we're at Thank you, Mr. Lundowski. Your behavior in this hearing room has been completely unacceptable. <laughs> it is part of a pattern by a White House desperate for the American people not to hear the truth. I have been asked several times today whether the committee will hold you in contempt. That is certainly under consideration. But there is a far more troubling level of contempt on display here today, and that is President Trump's role in your refusal to answer questions. The pattern of obstruction laid out in the Mueller report has not stopped. You showed the American public in real time that the Trump administration will do anything and everything in its power to obstruct the work of the Congress. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's uh, not in my purview. Uh, I, I, I can't speak to that. Uh, uh, I, I will yield to the report. Uh, it's not in my purview. I'm not liberty to discuss that. <laughs> where, where was all of this righteous indignation only a matter of months ago? when other people were in front of these various committee hearings being asked various questions and the members of the committee being told time after time after time after time after time after time, uh, fuck you, I'm not answering any of your dumb questions, more or less, in old man speak. Yes, uh, you see if you, uh, is it a page, uh, what, what was the page? Nin 92. Uh, is, is what was written? Is no, just, no, that's not my purview. Uh, what, what, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> but now and now it's all like, you need to answer everything. Don't you understand? This is obstruction of justice. <laughs> I, have to, I have to point something out here. And I'm usually pretty good at this stuff. I'm usually pretty good at watching these hearings because I'm a very boring person and I've watched a lot of them. In, in various countries, not just the United States, not just Australia. I've watched the UK equivalent, right? I'm a very boring individual when you get down to it. So I've watched a lot of these things, and I'm usually pretty good at picking up the message that uh, a particular party is aiming for in order to feed the press cycle going into the next day, the next two days, the next couple of weeks, if they can do it, if they can pull it off. So generally, there's a theme to the line of questioning which will in of itself create more stories and more conjecture and more spin. Negative spin or positive spin, depending on which side of the questioning you're on. But today, the Democrats, each to a man, to a woman, every single question, every single angle was focused on uh, a note that Lewandowski apparently wrote when he was speaking with Donald Trump, in which Donald Trump asked him to tell Jeff Sessions to go out there and say, um, it's very unfair what's happening to the president. Uh, he didn't do anything wrong. I was with him for nine months. And the subsequent angle being that Corey didn't deliver this message to AG Sessions. This was the entire day from the Democrats. Every single question. Pardon me. Just had to let go of sneeze. Every single question was about this letter, was about this memo that he wrote and the fact that he didn't deliver it. So I like I'm trying to rack my brain and I'm like, okay, first of all, is this any is this any kind of illegal activity to write down a note from the president saying, 
the AG should come out and defend me. Now, because he recused himself, there might be some semantical stuff there. But the, the reality was that message never got delivered. So I think that they were angry that no crime actually did take place. Because if the if the moat have, had have been delivered, then okay, f- great. Now we've got something. So they zeroed. I I I, I can't fathom it. Like I I think I'm missing something. I'm I'm trying to rack my brain here to see what angle am I missing here. Because they focused the entire day's proceedings on the fact that nothing happened. That the message never got delivered. That Lewandowski never instructed AG Sessions to stick up for the president. And they were they're like, oh, you chickened out. You should have handed this to the president, but you didn't because you knew it was wrong and you were a big pussy about it all. And I'm like, <laughs> thinking, hang on, you're making the focus the fact that nothing happened. Like, I, I don't know. Am I dumb? What am I missing here? But this was seriously the whole day. But like I said, let's get back to it. This was about 20 minutes ago or so. The president's lawyers are sitting behind you right now to make sure that you do not answer us. There's also another aspect to this, uh, that being last week, the Democrats changed the rules of these proceedings last week, specifically for this hearing with Corey Lewandowski. And they changed the rules to make it possible that uh, staff members could ask, uh, ask questions of the witness, right? Instead of the elected officials. But, then they invite a guy in who's not a staff member, who's an outside consultant. And apparently in the rules, and I don't want to get too boring with the semantics and stuff with the particulars, but apparently in the rules it states that outside consultants are explicitly not staff. <laughs> so they changed the rules last week and now break their own rules this week. It's incredible what's happening. It really is a circus, but let's have a look. Well, this committee is focused on the evidence of potential corruption, obstruction, and abuse of power. And exposing that misconduct is our top priority. Make no mistake, we will hold President Trump accountable. Want a parliamentary uh, inquiry? Now, Matt Gates, who I personally, like, I, I find him quite entertaining. I quite like him. But I like him knowing the background, like, knowing the context of liking him, that being he is a snarky little shit, you know <laughs> He is an annoying brat little shit. Like, you could just imagine Matt Gates as a child would be a really annoying kid. The kind of kid that would just stand on your front lawn, like like in Dennis the Menace. What are you doing now, Mr. Wilson? Why are, you, why are you trimming the hedge like that, Mr. Wilson? Mr. Wilson, do you have any cookies? Mr. Wilson, can I have some milk? Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson. And it's like, shut up, Matt. Fuck off. Go play on the freeway or something, kid. Jesus. He's, he's that kind of adult. You know what I mean? Gentlemen, will state his parliamentary inquiry. Mr. Chairman, did you have that little speech prepared before this hearing went downhill? It is not a proper parliamentary inquiry. <laughs> and the answer is no. Um, pursuant, pursuant to the resolution for investigative procedures adopted by this committee last year, uh, last week, rather. Uh, last week, sorry. Pursuant last, to notice, last year. Not last year. How silly of me. Last week. Mr. I'm sorry. The majority, has, the majority has designated Barry Burke. To conduct this question. Barry Burke. Mr. Chairman, point of order. Clause 2J. Gentlemen will state his point of order. Clause 2J, 2C of Rule 11 permits up to one hour of questioning by staff of this committee. This gentleman is a private You're consultant. You're too fast. I can't understand you. I'm sorry. You're this too fast. I can't understand. This is a private consultant whose very consultant contract explicitly states that he is not an employee of this committee, not a government employee. <laughs> 
Congressional Handbook states in explicit terms, consultants contracts, consultants contracted to work for standing committees to USC 4301 are explicitly not employees of the committee. House Admin Committee so, will not even... Do you see what's happening here? The Democrats changed the rules to allow outside, to allow staff members to ask questions, and then they invite a guy to ask questions who's not a staff member. It is insane. They're breaking their own rules now. To question witnesses constitutes an egregious violation of House rules under any circumstances. Under the circumstances of the current so-called impeachment it's inquiry, it will constitute Everything an unprecedented privatization of impeachment. I have the employment contract here of the gentleman, Mr. Barry Burke, and also have the letter in which you are asking a, a question. I also have the staff role, which he is not listed as a staff member. He is a private consultant. Point of order is he should not be able to allow questioning of this witness. I have no problem because you have already run through and bullied through last week a staff questioning. If you have a, if you have fine staff, if your staff asks question, I will withdraw the point of order. But Mr. Burt or Mr. Norman is neither one allowed to ask questions under this rule. And Ms. Zola, Ms. Lofgren's committee is here, and we do have the committee staff from House Admin who agrees with this interpretation. Unbelievable. I am prepared to rule on the point of order. For the purposes of staff questioning under the resolution adopted by the committee on September 12, 2019, there is no distinction between staff and consultants. First, the chair has significant discretion to determine who qualifies as staff for the purposes of the resolution. Committee for, the purpose, for the purpose of the rule that we invented last week, uh, there's no difference between staff and consultants. So that's, that's my ruling. Yes, we changed the rule last week, and now I'm overruling the rule that I made last week with a new definition between staff and consultant. <laughs> and it's, it's still, like I said, it's still happening. It's still going. But there were so many little tidbits that we could take from today's proceeding. So I've, I've brought a couple out. Uh, first one I want to show you here is uh, Congressman Ratcliffe, who I think provided one of the brief shining moments of common sense in hours and hours and hours of tomfoolery and nonsense. So let's have a listen. Thank you. The gentleman from Texas, Mr. Radcliffe. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Lewandowski, uh, welcome to what my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have alternative, alternatively described and argued over the past week as an impeachment inquiry, an impeachment investigation, <laughs> an impeachment probe, and an impeachment proceeding. Now, if you're confused which one, I assure you, you're not alone. See, this is the th this is the exact thing that we were talking about on Trust and Verify on Sunday night. And I was saying to you, no, the, the, the whole point of this is, the whole point of this investigation, the whole point of these proceedings are the proceedings. They're not looking for any kind of underlying truth here. If they were looking for underlying truth, they wouldn't have spent a, a total of around seven or eight hours asking the exact same question over and over and over again relating to a particular memo that he scribbled himself by hand and then didn't deliver to Jeff Sessions, right? The whole point of this, this ridiculous uh, pantomime is the pantomime. So when they talk about impeachment, 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 the Democrats have voted three times now to impeach Donald Trump, and each time the vote has failed. So at the top of the Democrat Party, they know that if they actually move articles of impeachment, the Dems that they uh, the Dems that won 
purple districts in the 2018 midterms will lose their job. They will lose the House because impeachment is extremely unpopular. Extremely unpopular. Even with a majority of Democrats, they don't want to impeach the president. So that brings up uh, a problem, but also an opportunity for the Democrat Party leadership. Because they need to placate the far left and they placate the far left by bringing these votes forward, knowing that they're going to lose. If they knew the vote was going to be successful, they would never have the vote because the leadership of the Democrat Party doesn't want to impeach because they'll lose the House if they do, right? And the impeachment will never be successful because it's never going to work in the Senate. He's never going to, they don't have the votes. They're just not there. But the far left progressive types don't really think strategically very often. They think more in terms of idealism. And like, well, we just need to impeach him whether it works or not because it's the right thing to do because he's Hitler, right? And that's about as deep as the analysis goes. But the leadership like Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer, they're far too cunning for that. They might be a lot of things, but politically stupid is not one of them. So they placate the sensibilities of the far left fringe. And in doing so, knowing that it's going to lose, they can keep this shit show going keep this conversation going in order to mobilize voters for 2020 because it keeps the story of investigations and evidence which doesn't exist and obstruction of justice and all the innuendo and smear it just keeps it recycling in the news constantly every couple of days every couple of weeks oh new bombshell Corey Lewandowski wrote a note and didn't deliver it oh New evidence unearthed at today's uh, investigation hearing. And it's just going to go on and on and on and on right up until the next election. And then maybe six months before the next election, Nancy Pelosi and the other Democrats are going to come out and say something along the lines of, hey, we know that you really wanted to impeach this guy, but the problem is people like Corey Lewandowski refused to answer questions and the White House was obstructing justice in that manner, so we couldn't get the evidence that we need, so the only way to impeach this horribly corrupt president is at the ballot box and vote for this Democrat. That is the play. That is 100% entirely what is happening here. And when it happens, uh, you know, into 2020, just try to look surprised. Try to act surprised when you see that very thing take place. Uh, a lot of the folks that are watching today might be confused because they might be thinking that impeachment proceedings are supposed to be initiated after a vote by the full House of Representatives, and they'd be right. But you see, the Democrats, now the party of impeachment, tried that three times and failed miserably three times. Yes, Mr. Beard of Truth brings up the very point. Uh, Bill Clinton gained popularity after he was impeached in the House, and of course it failed in the Senate, the, the Republicans got smashed at the subsequent elections after the impeachment proceedings against Bill Clinton. And Nancy Pelosi was around for that. So she knows what the fallout is going to be like should the Democrats go down the same route. So she's not so stupid as to pursue that, right? Twice before the Mueller report and then once again after the Mueller report. So last week, the party of impeachment, which is in charge of this committee changed our rules so that they could get to impeachment in a different way. And Mr. Lewandowski, you're lucky. You're the first witness for the party of impeachment's new impeachment procedure. I feel very lucky. Thank you. You should. 
now I know that you've testified uh, he was being a before snark- the House, before the Senate. <laughs> he was being a snarky little shit all day too. Good on him. <laughs> I would too because it was ridiculous. And before the special counsel. But in fairness, Mr. Lewandowski, that's when my colleagues on the other side of the aisle were promising the American people that there was going to be impeachment by collusion or impeachment by conspiracy, which, of course, didn't exist. And the special counsel said it didn't exist. So then they had to shift and say, well, now it's going to be impeachment by obstruction of justice. Remember that they promised. They promised that uh, special counsel... Remember, it doesn't matter what it is. The whole point of the impeachment conversation is the conversation, not the particular details of the conversation. The details are irrelevant. They just want that word circulating in the press constantly. Impeachment, obstruction, collusion, evidence, bombshell. Conclusively determined. And his answer was, I cannot. Do you remember that? So, as it turns out, um, all 200, nearly 200 pages of the Mueller report and the analysis of in volume two of obstruction of justice was done under a legal standard and legal burden of proof that is not recognized and ever been used before in American jurisprudence. But the party of impeachment, they're going to gloss over that today. They're also going to gloss over the fact that the inspector general um, criminally referred the FBI director who leaked the information to get the special counsel in the first place. And the same inspector general who found that uh, facts establishing that that same FBI director was in fact targeting Donald Trump at the same time. Something I just noticed too, if you look at the name um, name holder at the front of where Mr. Lewandowski is sitting, it doesn't say Mr. Lewandowski, it says Mr. Corey. <laughs> was Lewandowski, uh, Lewandowski too difficult to spell for the White House, uh, for the congressional staffers? Was it one of those things where they were like, Lewandowski? No, that's not right. That doesn't look right. Um, Lewin, no, that doesn't look right. How do you, how does, how does this, how do you spell it? Levin, no, it's not a V. I'm pretty sure it's not a V. Would you just get it done, please? We're running out of name cards. Okay, Mr. Corey. <laughs> Mr. Corey. Hello, Mr. Corey. <laughs> In an investigation where he said... I, I wonder if this is one of the staff member uh, staff members who will be later asking questions of Mr. Corey. He wasn't investigating Donald Trump. Now, you might think that this committee would be interested in hearing from that inspector general for the first time rather than hearing from you. It's for like, the, a, like a stripper name, isn't it? Fourth time. But maybe you can be helpful because the party of impeachment, they don't care, Mr. Lewandowski, what kind of impeachment you can deliver for them. There are 135 Democrats and socialists uh, in the House of Representatives that have publicly come out for impeachment. They're in agreement the president needs to be impeached. The problem is they've come up with more than a dozen different reasons that they're arguing about are the basis for that impeachment. We've talked about impeachment by collusion. We've talked about impeachment. So you get the idea. Let's get to some of the Democrat action. Uh, I think uh, the first one I have teed up here is the congressman from Rhode Island, Mr. Cicilline, who is a favorite on this show for his theatrics. Mr. Cicilline is the kind of individual who will make uh, very indignant pronouncements of the witness and make all kinds of accusations. And then when the witness is arguing back to him and showing him, you know, showing the world what a complete muppet he is, he actually gets up and walks out of the room. He just fires his guns and then leaves. He doesn't even listen to the answer. He did it to Candace Owens. He was like, you're terrible. You're this, you're that. 
And so when she started hitting back, he, he looked all disheveled and he got up, walked out. <laughs> I was like, where, where are you going, Dave? Dave, where are you going, mate? We're just getting started here. Don't you want to hear the answer? Don't you want to know what she's got to say for herself? Dave, Dave, still going. You're getting paid to be here, champ. So he's one of my personal favourites. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Lewandowski, uh, in between your first meeting on June 19th and your second meeting with the president on July 19th, you went on vacation. Like, he's, like he's like a hysterical woman who's been overcharged for a perm. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I, I, didn't, buy, I didn't buy the special, you know, herbal shampoo. Why is there an extra $20 on my bill? You racist. <laughs> and also during that time, there was public reporting about the Trump Tower meeting, correct? This is on page 92. If it's in the report, I believe it to be accurate. And on July 19th, when the president, for a second time, asked you to deliver the message to Sessions, you said, and I quote, the message would be delivered soon. Page 93. Correct? Page 93. But you didn't. You didn't call Jeff Sessions. You didn't try to meet with him. So the president asked you twice in the Oval Office to deliver a secret message to the Attorney General of the United States a message that you quickly wrote down word for word this was the all day. direction, It correct? was all day about this message that never got delivered. Sir? I believe I wrote it down. Yeah. This is the smoke. The this is the, the smoking gun. Did you ignore or disobey directions from candidate Trump? Uh, I didn't believe it to be uh, in order. Just to be clear, although you were not working for the president in any capacity, you wanted to give the president the impression that you were going to follow his orders, correct? <laughs> No. Well, you said I'm no. going to take care of it. Is that reference in the report? Did you tell the president you were going to deliver the message? I can't comment on private conversations okay, with the it's president. Oh, he's just privilege. getting under their skin. I could read you the exact statement again if you'd like me well, to. I said the White House has directed that I not disclose so the substance the of any Oval discussions Office. with the president or his <laughs> advisors to protect Because he, he had this letter from an attorney that said... Um, the White House has instructed that I may not disclose any private conversations I had with the president uh, pursuant, pursuant to some kind of policy. I'm not sure what it is. You know, some kind of privilege or whatever that exists in the Oval Office. So <laughs> he just kept repeating this this letter back to them constantly. And then they accuse him of obstructing justice for not answering questions. <laughs> uh, but the questions were always like, so how did you feel when you were asked to write this down? And he's like, uh, I, I don't know. I just kind of wrote it down. And you were very, you were very particular. You really wanted to impress Donald Trump, didn't you? You didn't want to let him down, did you? <laughs> he's like, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> I time, confidentiality. You're not going to stonewall me in my questioning. Would you like your hands oh, questions spinning? Oh, you will not stonewall me in my questioning. Well, he seems to be doing a pretty darn good job of it so far, David. You shall not stonewall me, Mr. Corey. Mr. Corey, sir. You will not stonewall me, Mr. Corey. <laughs> in, you're here in the, with the President of the United States in the Oval Office. He's directing you to deliver a message to the Chief Law and Office, Enforcement <laughs> Officer in the United States. I love the fake emphasis in the voice. You're in a, pres you're in a conversation with the President of the United States. He's asking you to deliver a, a message to the chief law officer of this amazing, beautiful, wonderful republic that we love so much. Where's an American flag? I need to masturbate to it. And you didn't want to disappoint the commander-in-chief, did you, Mr. Corey? 
You wanted to make him proud, didn't you? Didn't you? You would stay up all night thinking of ways to impress the president, didn't you? And when you took this note and he asked you, the president asked you, the commander-in-chief asked you to deliver it to the AG. <sighs> it's like the Oscar goes to Mr. Cicilline. Holy cow. He really did miss his calling, which would have been, you know, on Broadway, I think. States, which you understood would effectively end the ongoing investigation into this president and his campaign. So you told the president that the message would be delivered soon. But then, <laughs> but then on page 93, uh -huh. you immediately following the meeting with the president. But then, ah, oh, we got you. You didn't deliver the message, did you? Did you? <laughs> This whole time, like I said, I'm usually pretty good at this. I can't think of the angle here. I can't think of the subtext to this line of questioning. I can't pos I can't think of the attack angle that they're going for. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they come out with in the press. But I'm, I'm racking my brain like, what is the big fucking deal about this memo? What is the big deal about this thing that he wrote down, which he never delivered? You are literally just repeating the fact that nothing uh, illegal happened constantly. You're getting him to confirm your testimony that nothing illegal happened by the fact that you're making a mockery and, you know, getting the guy to admit constantly that he never delivered the message. It makes no sense whatsoever. You gave Dearborn the message. The president had dictated to be delivered to Sessions, correct? I believe that's what the report says. And you didn't tell the president that you'd already asked Dearborn to deliver the message. You just said it would be delivered soon. This is on page 92, correct? <laughs> it's, it's on page 92. You didn't <laughs> want to tell the president that you were passing off his message to someone else, did you? You knew he wanted you, someone he had described as his enforcer, a loyal soldier to do it, because the president trusted you. Isn't that right? That's a question for the president, sir. <laughs> then, well, why didn't you then deliver the message to Mr. Dearborn? Uh, why? To, uh, why? Jeff Sessions directly. Why did you give it to Mr. Dearborn to why do? Why did you give it to him? I think I've testified I was out of town. For two weeks. Yes, I don't live in town, okay. Congressman. Unlike you, unlike you, sir, I don't okay. live in town. Do you, during your second <laughs> meeting in the Oval Office, the president told you that if Sessions wouldn't meet with you to tell him he was fired. Did fired. you, Mr. Lewandowski, ever threaten the Attorney fired. General that if he didn't meet with you, he would be fired? No. No. Did you tell Mr. Dearborn <laughs> to tell Sessions that he would be fired if he didn't take this meeting as the president directed? Congressman, the White House has directed and I have disclosed the substance of any discussion with the president or his advisors to protect executive branch <laughs> confidentiality. The reason you didn't tell the president that was because you know that it was wrong. Ah. And the president, isn't that correct? See, th this is the other thing too. They're saying that Corey Lewandowski, like this is, it's so confused. Because on the one hand, they're saying that Lewandowski is part of this grand cover-up, that Lewandowski is a bad actor who is being directed by the president to cover up for his obstruction and his crimes and his misdemeanors while in office. But at the same time, they're saying that the reason that you didn't deliver this message is because you knew it was wrong to do it, implying that he's a good guy who follows rules. So on the one hand, he's a bad guy engaged in a cover-up because he won't answer the question as to why he didn't deliver the message. And the fact that he didn't deliver the message proves that he's a good guy who didn't want to do the wrong thing. They are, it's fucking insane. <laughs> it's like pick, pick a, an archetype and stick to it, man. 
Is he a good guy or a bad guy? You don't even know. You haven't even decided if he's a good guy or a bad guy yet. Mr. Lewandowski is a terrible individual. He was instructed by the president to deliver a message to AG Sessions. And it was a message that proves the obstruction of justice. And he didn't deliver it because he's a good guy and he knew it was the wrong thing to do. Which is, pr- which is proof positive of the fact that he's such a terrible man trying to cover up a crime. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was manic depressive. That, that's the only way I can describe what I was watching from the Democrats. Manic depressive questioning. No. Well, the president wasn't aware that you ignored his directive to tell Jeff Sessions he was fired if he didn't meet with you, was he? I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I'll move on. In fact, to prove to the Attorney <laughs> Don't worry General about that it. the Let's threat was real, the next question. four days later, on July 22nd, the president directed Priebus, his chief of staff, to obtain Sessions' resignation. Mr. Corey. That's on the slide in front of you. The president told Priebus that he had to get Sessions to resign immediately. Did you know that? <laughs> no. This evidence as a whole strongly suggests that the president was reinforcing to Sessions that his job was on the line at the same time as the president believed you were delivering the message to end the investigation into the 2016 campaign. So President Donald Trump was threatening Jeff Sessions with his job, which he has every right to do, mind you, which isn't a crime either. But he was threatening Jeff Sessions with his job via a note that was never delivered. (laughs) All of this made everyone very uncomfortable, including Mr. Dearborn, which is at page 93. And he told you uh, that he was uncomfortable being a Uh a messenger to Sessions, correct? Yes. No. No. (laughs) Were you aware when you asked Rick Dearborn to deliver this message to the Attorney General on behalf of the President of the United States, it created the same legal culpability for you is that you delivered the message yourself. Are you you aware of that? But what legal culpability? Legal culpability is one thing. A crime taking place is something else entirely. So I guess he had legal culpability in a crime that never happened. (laughs) Congressman, the president didn't ask me anything illegally. Like I said, they're so confused. And this this was like the gold nugget. This was the theme of the day. Every single question went like this. Confusing, uh, contradictory lines of questioning that made no sense whatsoever. And you ever asked me to keep anything a secret? Are you aware that when you asked Mr. Dearborn to deliver this message to end the investigation and just focus on future investigations, you thought you were protecting yourself, but you were in fact committing a crime. Rick Dearborn knew delivering the message was wrong, you knew it was wrong. That's why even after being asked to deliver it and saying you'd handle it soon, you passed it off to him and you never followed up. And guess what? I also think it's very, very wrong. So, so how did, how did, again, how did he commit a crime if he never did it? They're literally saying you committed a crime, but you didn't follow through. Like It doesn't work that way. Like, if I sit down and I plan to rob a bank, but then I don't actually rob a bank, you can't charge me with robbing a bank, right? Boogie Bumper, you, you, we know, we know that you sat down and you planned how you would get into the bank, you planned how you would get into the safe, and you planned your getaway. We know that happened. Were you aware at that point that you were discussing a potential crime taking place? Were you aware of it? And then not only did you do that, but then you didn't follow through. You didn't follow through on the crime because you knew it was wrong. 
<laughs> because you knew it was the wrong thing to do, didn't you? Didn't you, you bad man? Jesus. <laughs> In fact, I think the president asking a private citizen to try to scare his attorney general into ending scare. the investigation into the president's conduct is obstruction of justice, plain and simple. An obstruction of justice. An obstruction of justice that, in his own line of questioning, he admits never took place. Like this is next level stuff. You you won't see this in any you know sci-fi action thriller novel or anything like that. This is next level uh, brain melting retardation that we're witnessing here. Uh, who do we have next? Oh yes, um, give me your guns or I'll nuke you, Eric Swalwell. Now, Eric Swalwell got up to the plate. They kept trying to get uh, Lewandowski to read the note that he wrote. So read it out loud for everybody. And he just kept saying, you can read it if you want. Yeah, I, I give you permission to read my words. That's fine. But Eric wasn't taking no for an answer. Eric wanted to know in this very important thing, which which they keep telling us, literally the the entire democracy of the United States is at risk here. This is so vital. We need to get to the bottom of these crimes and these obstructions and these misdemeanors. This is a very, very, very serious hearing, Mr. Corey. Mr. Corey, this is a very serious matter indeed. So you need to take this seriously. In fact, Mr. Corey, I don't like your attitude here today. I don't like the way you've conducted yourself, sir. So Eric Swalwell uh, wanted to show everybody how seriously he's taking it. With his line of questioning, that being, Mr. Lewandowski, why aren't you reading? Why aren't you reading the memo that you wrote when people are asking you to read it? Mr. Lewandowski, I'm going to put a slide up, and it's the words that President Trump dictated to you on July 19. Can you read what you wrote down? I'm happy to have you read it, Congressman. Well, why don't you want to read it, Mr. Lewandowski? I think you should afford me the same privilege you afforded Director Mueller. Would you like to read it? No, you're welcome to read it. Are you ashamed of the words that you wrote down? <laughs> President Swalwell, I'm very happy of what I've written, but you're welcome to read it. If President you like. Swalwell. Are you, are you ashamed to read it out loud? I'm not ashamed of anything in my life, Congressman. Are you? Then why don't you read the words? <laughs> Congressman, I've asked and answered your Mr. question. Why won't you read the words aloud? Oh, I've asked my and answered God. your question, Congressman. If you'd like to read the words, you're welcome to. Well, you were ashamed to read them out loud, and you didn't deliver those words to the person the you president asked you to. You were ashamed. Did you have a consciousness of guilt? <laughs> I have nothing to be guilty of, Congressman. Thank you. You still feel guilty today, and that's why you can't read it out loud? Congressman, you're welcome to read the words if you'd like. Well, I just wonder why... Like, this is the smoking gun. This was the big evidence reveal today. This was when all the questions were going to be answered, when all of the criminal activity and the obstruction of justice and all the other hoopla was going to be unearthed and discovered by the world who was watching this puppet show take place. This was the day when monumental truth bombs were to be dropped on the heads of the citizens of the most powerful country on earth because, God damn it, somebody needs to protect the republic. And the Democrats are the only ones trying to protect the democracy and the republic. They're the only ones who care about the truth. <laughs> and so, as a result, like I said, of seven hours of this idiotic line of questioning, it comes down to Mr. Lewandowski, Mr. Pardon me, Mr. Corey, Mr. Corey, 
did you do you feel guilty? <laughs> Mr. Levin, Mr. Corey, why won't you read? Why won't you read the note that you took down when you were talking to the president? I'm happy for you to read it. But is it true that you won't read the words that you wrote because you feel guilty, sir? Are you racked with guilt? Are your insides crumbling as we speak? Are you so racked with guilt that you're going to walk out of this hearing and walk directly into oncoming traffic? Mr. Lewandowski, how can you sit there and wallow in your own guilt, sir? You must feel incredibly guilty. You must feel the guilt permeating throughout your soul, throughout your muscles, throughout every sinew and tendon in your little body. You must feel guilty. Is this is this why you won't read it, sir? Because you feel the feelings, the guilt feelings. Is that what's taking place here? Like this, this was the big investigation. This was the truth. This was the people who are taking this very seriously, asking a grown man if he felt guilty about something he wrote down. It, it's 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 like getting caught uh, drawing a picture. Uh, you know, it's like getting caught drawing a mocking picture of the teacher in high school. And or writing a note and passing it along and saying, would you like to get up in front of the class and read this note? Oh, uh, no, no, ma'am. No, sir. No, sir. Why don't you want to get up in front of the class and read what and, and read out what you wrote down? Why don't you want to do that? Do you feel guilty about it? Mr. Cor- Corey, Corey, what are you writing down there? Corey, who is that note for? Uh, it's for my friend, uh, Jeff Sessions. <clears throat> Well, Corey, why don't you get up in front of the class and read it to everybody? Uh, no, I don't I don't really want to do that. Why not? Do you feel guilty about what you wrote? Did you write bad things in the note? Hmm? 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 <laughs> Let me see that note. <laughs> I'm going to put the note up in front of the class so everybody can read it. Now, would you like to read it out? No, I don't, I don't really want to do that. Yes, I know, because you feel guilty, don't you, Mr. Corey? You're a very bad man, Mr. Corey. And now, do you realise that the note was wrong? Do you realise it was wrong, what you did? Yes, I did. I realise it was the wrong thing to do. I'm sorry. Unbelievable. The most powerful government on earth, ladies and gentlemen. You can't. I have the capacity to, Congressman. I'll give you the privilege. You said the president did nothing wrong. Why can't you read those words right now? Why can't you read them aloud? (laughs) Congressman, tell me why you hold me to a different standard than previous witnesses who sat here. laughable. I want, I want to give you one more opportunity to clear up something you said earlier. You've said a number of times it was in the Mueller report, it was accurate, except as it relates to you stating that this was the only time the president ever asked you to write something down. Are you saying that that part's not accurate? And I'd ask you to stop the clock while he confers with his lawyer. Stop the clock. Clock will be stopped for five seconds. Could I see the page and reference number on that, Congressman? Sure. It's page 91, lines 7 and 8. I will read it to you. This was the first time the president had well, asked the to, to take dictation. Are you saying that that is not accurate? I'm saying those aren't my words, Congressman. I'm asking you, was that the first time the president asked you to take dictation? And I've testified it's not the first time. So this part would be inaccurate? I'm saying I've taken dictation by the candidate and the president in the past. Have you ever put any words that the, res- the president asked you to write down before in a safe? Or was this the first time you'd done that? Uh, I believe it's my standard operating procedure when taking notes, Congressman. So every note that you take of the president, you put in a safe? 
How big is that I safe? Don't, I don't. It's a big safe, Congress. There's a lot of guns in there. <laughs> is this the first time you've ever put a secret message from the president secret that he message. wanted you to deliver to secret someone else message. in the safe? I don't believe there's anything secret about the message. I was never told to keep the message secret. Is this the first time you ever put a message that the president asked you to deliver God. to someone else in the safe? All day this Not was. Not to the best of my recollection. This was all day. I want to go back to that day. Later, after the president asked you to deliver this message, he was interviewed by the New York... Again, we have, to, we have to stress, this was the big smoking gun. This was the big truth bomb. This was the bombshell. Apparently, a dictated message that he took down and then didn't deliver to AG Sessions. This is this is the whole this is the culmination of 36 months of intensive and rigorous investigation, ladies and gentlemen. At the end of the day, it all comes down to a note that he wrote and never delivered. <laughs> this is the evidence. All the hours of testimony, all of the interviews, all of the investigations, all of the hoopla all of the pronouncements made in the corporate press, we've got him now. We've got him now. We're taking this son of a bitch down. It all comes down to a note that was handwritten and never delivered. Therefore, nothing happened. It's stunning, isn't it? That's the best they got. So maybe, ladies and gentlemen, oh, hang on, let me fix this. I don't like that. Let me put you back where you belong. There you go. Uh, by the way, if you want to uh, jump on the, if you want to, and you know, join in on the podcast, if you want to have a chat, jump in the waiting room. We'll take a couple of calls. If anybody feels so inclined to do so, you know how to do it. Get in the Discord, jump in the waiting room, and we'll get you on the show. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to the Daily Boogie. Um, so maybe if Eric Swalwell and the rest of the Democrats aren't going to impeach Donald Trump because they really don't want to, as we fully understand. Maybe we maybe we need to impeach somebody else because I mean we've been ripping up this impeachment talk for the last you know twelve months. It's you feel like now somebody has to get impeached. I mean we've been promised impeachment, 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 impeachment. If we can't get Trump, then maybe Brett Kavanaugh is the guy we should impeach. Maybe that's the guy we need to move on to. Are uh, people in the chat going no, not Morning Joe? Hang on, what, hang hold, hang in there, hang in there. You're going to find a very surprising ally here in in joe scarborough because joe's it, this is getting so redundant and so retarded that even now morning joe is turning around saying guys just stop just stop with the impeachment shit would you you're actually helping the guy that you're trying to vote out now that's how bad it's getting that morning joe scarborough is actually saying guys can you ixnay on the impeachment a eh? Slow down. You're only helping Donald Trump now at this point. That's how stupid you look. Welcome back to Morning Joe. 2020 Democratic presidential candidates continue to push ahead with their calls for the impeachment of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> Senator Kamala Harris hit the nomination process and doubled down on investigating Kavanaugh last night on MSN. We can't get Trump, so we better get Kavanaugh. It was a sham. We have to recognize that the process by which he was confirmed yep. has created a crisis of confidence. Ah. In who? In that court. Oh, in the Supreme Court, right. Because I would imagine a whole bunch of people think that the way that Justice Kavanaugh was confirmed has created a crisis of confidence in some, some of the people involved, some of the people asking questions, some of the people asking uh, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, 
did did you touch this woman inappropriately, sir? What does this mean in your high school yearbook? Can we really trust a teenage boy 40 years in the past who liked to enjoy beer and play football? Can we really trust a man like Brett Kavanaugh? The crisis of confidence I don't think is for the Supreme Court necessarily. But this was always going to be the line that they use, right? Because they made such a sick spectacle out of the whole situation, they now use their own spectacle-making talent as the reason that nobody should... um, that the reason that Judge Kavanaugh needs to be impeached is because they were so ridiculous during the the hearings for him, right? They made it into a into a circus, and now they say, well, because it was a circus, that's why he needs to be impeached. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's very basic bitch stuff, but I mean, they it's really bad. It's really uh, shallow and asinine at this point. What's going on? Like they're the ones who turned it into a shit show. Imagine that in your day. How could you get away with that in any any other walk of life? Imagine you work as a janitor and you leave like a whole bunch of cleaning chemicals in the office one day. And like the the bosses go into the office and they all get knocked out and passed out because you've left all these cleaning chemicals in there. And they all go to a hospital with like lung infections and stuff because you, the janitor, left cleaning equipment in the office. And then when the bosses, you know, come back, you turn around to the office, the office workers, and you say, see, because of the lung infections and stuff that was suffered by the cleaning chemicals, that means none of you should be working here anymore. You should all be moved into another office. And it's like, well, hey, we only got sick because of you. You're the one who created the health hazard in the office here. Don't use the health uh, hazard as an excuse to get rid of us. That was your doing. <laughs> but they don't care. They just march on. One of the worst things that happens is that when we are not willing to believe the victim and take them seriously, take them seriously, uh, investigate the case. You see, they did take it seriously. They offered to fly her out. She said she was afraid of flying. Do you remember that? They offered, they gave extra time for her to get her thoughts together and because they were taking her very seriously, they treated her with respect. The only guy that wasn't getting treated seriously was the guy who was being accused. He was getting treated like a criminal. They weren't taking it seriously. They were reading from his high school yearbook, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the real crisis here is we didn't take it seriously enough. And I put it to you. Um... This could have been reported at the local police station. Still now, she can still report this. She can still go to the police station in the jurisdiction where this alleged crime took place and say to the police, this happened to me, you need to investigate it. But she never did. And I suspect the reason that that never gets mentioned by the likes of Kamala Harris, because if there was an investigation, I suspect that they suspect that there's not going to be much found. And that would put a nice big full stop to the story. And then you won't be able to keep the conversation rolling in the media from one day to the next, one week to the next. And whenever you need another um, injection of outrage into the system, hey, let's do Kavanaugh again. We haven't asked for the impeachment of Brett Kavanaugh for about three weeks. Let's bring him up again. Let's do that one again. 
It's not really working out well for us with the whole Russia thing. So let's drag Brett Kavanaugh back into the shit show. Let's give him a few more whacks around the ear. See how he takes it. Former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, also, of course, running for president, echoed a similar sentiment, alleging Kavanaugh lied under oath. Ah. The American people deserved better. And given the fact that it appears <laughs> as though balls. Brett Kavanaugh lied under oath, which is a crime, uh, I think that he has disqualified himself for service on the Supreme Court. It's too He's already there, Beto. He's already there. Hello, Beto O'Rourke. This is 2018. Um, it's already happened, bro. I think that disqualifies him from service on the Supreme Court. <laughs> what, after he's been confirmed? After he was after he was nominated, after he was interviewed, after he was questioned, and then after he was confirmed, and after he was coronated, and after he's already been hearing cases for months and months and months. Now, Beto O'Rourke pops his head up out of the trench. Hey, by the way, Brett Kavanaugh, I think he should be disqualified. <laughs> it's like, what fucking year are you living in? This isn't 1982. Punk isn't cool anymore, Beto. He should step down or he should be impeached. Ah, right. But while the calls from 2020 Democratic hopefuls for Brett Kavanaugh's impeachment continue to come in, key Democrats on Capitol Hill are throwing cold go. water on the idea. Here is Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler. The jurisdiction that we would have with respect to a, a, a sitting Supreme Court nominee is, uh, did he lie to the Senate? Frankly, we are concentrating our resources <laughs> on determining whether to impeach the president. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about what's taking place here. Think about what you're seeing here. Remember, these are supposed to be the wiliest political brains of our generation, leading into a 2020 campaign which they would think is unlosable because Donald Trump, the big Nazi, the big fascist, the orange-haired demon, Captain Bonespurs... All of the above. I mean, he's just so unelectable. He's so corrupt. He's so racist. He's so wrong. There's no possible way that we could lose this election. So not only do you have, uh, you know, Democrats who want impeachment, Democrats don't want impeachment, but now they can't even agree on who should be the target of the impeachment. So they're, ask they're asking Beto O'Rourke and Kamala Harris, oh, absolutely, we should impeach Justice Brett Kavanaugh. I think his conduct in the hearings was most unbecoming of a Supreme Court justice and he should step down or be impeached. And they go to Jerry Nadler for a comment on the impeachment of Brett Kavanaugh. And Jerry Nadler says, well, to be honest, I haven't really thought about impeaching Brett Kavanaugh because I'm too busy trying to impeach Donald Trump. <laughs> Everybody's getting impeached. It's an impeachment party. A hands full with impeaching the president right now. On the Senate side, Minority Whip Dick Durbin of Illinois Dick answered, Durbin. quote, get real when asked by Politico about the possibility of impeaching Kavanaugh. Durbin continued, we've got to get beyond this. Impeachment is the answer to every problem. It's not realistic. If that's how we are identified in Congress as the impeachment Congress, you are. we run the risk that people will feel we're run ignoring the, the issues that mean a lot to them as families. One of the issues also may be, thus far, the investigations conducted have not revealed any corroborating witnesses. Dick Durbin coming out and saying we need to stop focusing on all this impeachment nonsense because if the if the perception 
starts to generate in the body politic that we only care about impeaching people and not about the issues that people are facing on a daily basis, then they're not going to reward us at the ballot box. I'm surprised that a Democrat didn't come out and call for the impeachment of Dick Durbin at that point. Wait, wait, wait. Do you, do you, are you saying that the Democrat Party Senate minority leader isn't in favour of impeaching somebody? We need to impeach him. He's obviously working for the Russians. He's obviously taking money. He obviously sexually abused somebody in the 1960s. Only a man of very thin moral fibre wouldn't be in favour of, of impeaching someone. I don't care. Get it. I don't care. Get Kavanaugh, get Trump. I don't give a fuck. As long as we impeach somebody. I've got a, I've got an itch, and impeach, impeachment is the only way to scratch it. In any of the four instances who confirm the allegations took place. So, Joe, you have this, this conflict between people out on the campaign trail calling for the impeachment of a sitting Supreme Court justice <laughs> and the people who sit on Capitol Hill who would have to deal going, with that no! saying, we're not going there. It's almost like they're being political, <laughs> playing for the cheap seats on the campaign trail. Mike! I, I heard Kamala Harris say <clears throat> we have to believe the victims. Of course, first of all, as a prosecutor, she really should put an alleged. And oh, oh, that was very bitchy from Morning Joe towards Kamala Harris. By the way, Kamala, she should really put in alleged. To be fair, I'm not surprised that Joe Scarborough, a man who has been accused of heinous things regarding a particular intern who was found dead in his office with her skull bludgeoned, uh, I'm not surprised that he is particularly au fait <laughs> when it comes to uh, splicing in qualifying terms like alleged where, where appropriate. In front of the word victims, especially in the case in the New York like, Times. Joe, Joe Scarborough is the wrong guy to be talking about, uh, to be asking, uh, should we believe all the victims? Because you get all of these other TV show hosts in there and like, yes, we need to believe the victims implicitly. Everything the victims say is true. We must always believe the victims and never the accused. Always believe the victims, believe the victims, believe the victims. Joe Scarborough, like I said, with his history, is probably sitting there going, ah, let's slow down. <laughs> Sometimes... Sometimes the accusers are wrong, okay? That's all I'm just saying. I'm just saying maybe we should use the term alleged, okay, guys? Let's not go jumping off the cliff here believing all the victims now. Let's believe all of them except that one. That one that was found in my office. Uh, essay, the baffling essay, the baffling editing process that they put forward because if you believed the alleged victim in the alleged incident. The alleged victim in the alleged incident doesn't ever remember the alleged incident occurring. So if Kamala Harris... Wow, hasn't he changed his tune? Huh? The alleged victim in the alleged occurrence doesn't even remember the alleged incident. All of a sudden now, Joe Scarborough, big misogynist. Big woman-hating, sexual abuse-supporting, misogynist Joe Scarborough. For saying, for pointing out the truth that the alleged victim doesn't even remember the alleged incident taking place. The alleged witness says that the alleged incident didn't happen. Ooh. <laughs> Joe Scarborough, ladies and gentlemen. Don't believe all the victims now is believing the, quote, victim, the alleged victim. Alleged the alleged victim, victim says, uh, I don't ever remember that happening, according according <laughs> to friends. So I, I, I'm just, 
again for a lawyer I'm, I'm, I'm confused and Beto said he lied under oath okay what specifically did he lie about again this is coming after a New York Times essay over this weekend that again even the most Which liberal of liberals Listen are scratching their heads at how badly the New York Times botched that Wow. I bet you never thought you'd hear that, right? I bet you never thought you'd see Joe Scarborough coming out saying, well, Kamala Harris is a lawyer, apparently, so she should be using the term alleged because the alleged witnesses don't even remember the alleged occurrence. And this is coming after a New York Times report where even the most dyed-in-the-wool liberals are scratching their head going, how did the New York Times fuck it up so bad? How could they get it so wrong? Because I suspect Joe Scarborough is also not an idiot and he knows that the constant talk about impeachment, impeachment, impeachment and now going back to the well when it gets to Brett Kavanaugh because we know uh, that the way that Brett Kavanaugh was gone after was very highly unpopular, highly unpopular in, you know, in the minds of the voters. They didn't like what that guy went through at all. And so he, he sees the Democrats digging this up again and he's like, really? Are you that dumb that you're going to use this as your political platform? Are you going to? Are you? Do you want these commercials being run during the presidential election? Perhaps not. Mika sits quietly. Yes, Mika doesn't say a word. Mika knows that when uh, Joe Scarborough gets upset with the women in his life, that they meet sometimes perhaps alleged unfortunate endings. No, I'm just just kidding. That never happened. That never happened. Uh, let's play this for you. Nobody wants to call in. That's fine. Nobody wants to jump in. So I've got a couple of little items here. Uh, this was incredibly funny. If you're, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see the screen. <clears throat> but somebody has edited the CNN Chiron. And it's Kamala Harris and somebody from CNN. I think it's Brooke. Brooke Burnett. Uh, she's doing a little interview. And someone's edited the Chiron down the bottom and it says, should women give head to get ahead? Understanding, of course, the history that Kamala Harris with, had with uh, participating in an affair and then being named uh, in, a, in a particular high-ranking role by the person she had an affair with. So. I think we should. Yes. I mean, look, I'm going to be honest. It's really difficult to... When you had, if you're just like, if you don't gulp it down immediately, it starts to bend, yes. and, then, and then you know the little thing catches it, and then you know. But so we got to kind of perfect that one a little bit more. That's, so you it, but rely on. I mean, we got we got it. Yeah, is is a process, right? You don't just do it. Is a process. Brilliant. <laughs> just a little thirty second Twitter video. Uh, that'll be in the show notes after the show. Uh, I see UK Neil was in general chat. I don't know if he wanted to talk or not, but you're on the air anyway if you did, brother. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no, he jumped back out again. So he obviously didn't want to be on the show. <laughs> I'll move him up one more time, see if he wants to get in here. Oh, he keeps moving out, keeps dropping out. No, okay. I tried. I tried. He keeps dropping out. Um, where should we go? Where should we go? I do have a couple of really hot take videos here. But I'm not sure. I tell you what, since we've been talking about justice, ladies and gentlemen, let me show you justice in Bermuda. 
Bermuda judge stuns murder trial by saying, quote, all this talk of sex is making me horny after a witness spoke about sexual partners. There is the horny judge right there. <laughs> Maybe more people would watch uh, the proceedings in Washington if this was the kind of judgments that were being handed down. A judge in Bermuda has faced criticism from the British Court of Appeal after telling a murder trial that talk of sex was making him horny. I'm horny, 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 horny. Carlisle Graves, who until retiring in July served as a junior Supreme Court judge in the British Overseas Territory, made the comment at the trial of Kiri Smith-Williams for the 2011 killing of Colford Ferguson. <coughs> Ferguson, a 29-year-old father of one, was gunned down while working on a building project at a house in the village of Somerset in northwestern Bermuda. Witness Troy Harris told the court that he and Smith-Williams had former sexual partners in common, to which Graves, the, the judge, responded, all this sex is beginning to make, is beginning to get me horny. <laughs> judge Snoop Dogg, says Smithy in the chat. <laughs> yes, if it would please the court, Your Honor, I'd like to explain that uh, myself and the alleged uh, perpetrator of this crime uh, we did, in fact, share a, n a numerous number of sexual partners. And, uh, you know, it was a cause for much uh, friction in our friendship. And we would have many arguments about the sexual part. Whoa, whoa, slow down there, brother. Slow down there. You keep talking about sex, you're going to get this old man horny. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the juices flowing right now. You need to stop talking about sex in your testimony because I'm getting hard listening to you right now you need to stop the, the judge's comments came to light after smith williams defense lawyer jerome lynch took the case to the british court of appeal asking for a retrial on the grounds that the judge had behaved inappropriately the court of appeal rejected the request but appeal judge sir maurice k criticized graves remarks mr k said in particular his comment all this sex is beginning to get me horny was inappropriate to the dignity of the court proceedings Mr. Lynch was justified in criticising it. But that's not the only thing that this guy's done, my new favourite judge. In transcripts commit, uh, submitted to the Court of Appeal, Harris swears repeatedly and refers to other people involved in cases as faggot and fucking pussy. <laughs> See, I, I can laugh because I'm not in front of this judge. You know what I mean? If you're not actually, if you don't have this judge in your trial, then it's funny. But if you were in front of a judge and you were telling your, your story, like just say you got robbed or something at knife point and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then the guy like tried to stick a knife in my ribs and he wanted my wallet and stuff. And what, what would you do if the judge turned around and said, oh, stop being a fucking pussy, would you? Jesus, stop being such a fucking pussy, bro. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't even know where to stay. <laughs> what? <laughs> and please, can we stop with all this sex talk? Because it's making me horny. Unbelievable. Anybody familiar with serious criminal trials in this jurisdiction in recent years knows the judge has a very personal style <laughs> whereby he engages with witnesses, defendants, juries and advocates in an informal way, often using casual language and rich metaphors. There you go. He's, he's the Donald Trump of the bench, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's try to get our caller on again one more time. Let's see if we can rock and roll now. Are you there? No, he's dropped out again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, brother. 
when you go to talk, um, for some reason, you, you keep leaving the room. So you should be able to just say, now, I can hear you now. There he is. There he is, our man uh, in the UK. Nice. <laughs> How you doing, Boogie? Very good, thank you. Thanks for joining us, by the way. No, that's all right. I thought, I thought well, I've been meaning to call in for some time, but I ain't been able to watch the shows. It's been on at like 4, 4 a.m. in the morning in the UK. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, thanks for joining us. What's on your mind? Yeah, no, I was just going to talk a little bit in, in the broader spectrum of obviously, you know, where you were playing the video of um, Mr. Corey and, and Nadler and that, you know, the, you know. Yeah. Why, why, why was it that, obviously, one of the main things Trump won? Well, that was because he was listening to the people and talking directly to the people. Um, and this is the trouble with the Democrats. They have no connection to the people, which, you know, is obviously why Trump's in power and Trump's doing well. Um, and instead of the Democrats trying to turn around and go, right, look, listen, we messed up here in 2016. You know, we need to reassess our tactics, get mm -hmm. connected with the, the, pe the people of the USA as such, and listen to them and do what, what we can do on our behalf as a party to, for them so that we can obviously aim to win 2020. But they don't think in that manner because they still didn't learn from the fact that Trump won because he listens to the people. They have just gone down this absolute avenue of craziness, uh, impeachment, 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 um, and whatever avenue they can to actually attack the people more, i.e., you know, the, the gun situation um, and many other things, or like the border um, and the wall and things like that. So instead of them actually changing their strategies to actually aim to an election, they're just completely doing it the other way. And, and it's mirrored in, in, in the UK with Brexit at the moment. You know, if you look at what's gone on with, with since Boris has taken charge, the, the Labour Party have absolutely lost their, their, their minds over what Boris is doing. Yeah, so as, as I was saying the same thing, like six months after the election, I was saying, wouldn't you think, and I think I said it on Trust and Verify, I said, wouldn't you think the first order of business would have been after this shock defeat? Now, you know, many of us weren't shocked. Many of us predicted it, but it's safe to say that most people were shocked in one way or another, right? Especially the people who do it for a living. They were very shocked. They had no idea. They couldn't see it coming for some reason, even though they get paid six figures to do just that, but putting that to one side. If you were the Democrats, you would have thought um, when people were talking about Russia and, oh, we need to get all of the, we need to get his tax returns, we need to get all of these people in, we need to grill them, we need to investigate them, we need to have show trials and blah, blah, blah. Surely there must have been somebody in that party saying, guys, guys, shouldn't we have like a notepad and a pen out and start taking down some ideas on how we're going to win back the narrative? Because the votes that we just lost are not, you know, uh, the long-time racist KKK voters that you pretend they are, the votes that we actually lost and the states that we actually lost, which resulted in Trump winning, were states that have been Democrat for 30 years. The first order of business should have been, hey, how did we lose people who have been voting for our party for 30 years? How did that happen? What did we do wrong? How can we get it better? And I think you're right. Like, I think that they've been doing this kind of witch hunt stuff for so long now that this has become the strategy. This has become the re-election pitch. It's because just because they've do, been doing it for so long, it's too late to change now. You know what I mean? I, I have no other explanation for it. Yeah, and and you know, as I say, you know, it, it and, and I've said this in a few of the scopes that I've done recently. Everything that's going on politically in the U.S. at the moment is mirror imaged in the U.K. 
yep. you know, again, why did Trump come to power? Because the people, they weren't listening to the people. Why did Brexit happen? Because they weren't listening to the people over the, over the EU. Uh, why, what's happening now with Boris? They're trying to dig up every little piece of dirt or every avenue or anything they can get on Boris because he's turned around and said, listen, I, I ain't Theresa May. I'm shutting down Parliament because I'm sick of your games. Yep. Um, and, just, and instead of them reassessing what they can do to get back on the people's side, they're just literally attacking him every day. Well, and see, the, the, the uh, comparisons with Brexit run deep as well. Not just in, you know, not just in the feeling stuff, not just in, you know, the the surface level atmosphere of it, but in the numbers as well, because you see a whole bunch of uh, longtime inner city Labour voters. And you would know, being from the UK, Neil, that the kind of Labour voter that lives in London, like in Chelsea, say, for example, right, or Earl's Court, is very different from the Labour voter who lives in Newcastle, right? So it's it's... It's a it's a it's a bubble mentality. Just like the Democrat that lives in LA or New York is very different to the Democrat who lives in Michigan or Pennsylvania, right? They have very different ideas and very different views. So it was the Democrats in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and and those areas that flipped states that have been Democrat for thirty years to vote for the Republicans. In the Brexit vote, it was the Labor voters who have been voting Labor for thirty or forty years who actually supported the Brexit. They're the ones who got Brexit over the line in the northeast of England. And these are people that uh, can't... These are people who probably grew up with Margaret Thatcher pictures on their dartboard. That's how much they hate the Tories, right? So that's very similar situations here. A a bipartisan nationalism, if you want to put it that way, right? Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is, you know, them Labour voters have gone to the next extreme now as to... Um, not just the fact that, like you say, they helped uh, Brexit cross the line and such. They're now going to that next extreme where they're turning their backs on the Labour Party to pursue yep. um, other avenues with the Brexit Party. Yep. Um, and, you know, just this week in Hartlepool, you know, uh, nine, nine Labour and Conservative MPs left their parties to join the Brexit Party. So it's now going on to that next extreme. Wow. Wow. There you go. For, so both sides now, Labour and Tories, are now joining the Brexit Party. Yeah, Nigel, Nigel is absolutely tactically ready to annihilate both parties. And this is why Boris knows he has to deliver Brexit. Yep. He has to, because whatever next turn, whenever that next turn election happens, if he doesn't deliver Brexit, Nigel has got like nearly 700 MPs placed all across the UK. Nigel's been everywhere. He's been to Scotland. Um, yep. He's yet to come to North Ireland, but he's been to Scotland, Wales. And um, he's planned ready for an absolute whitewash of the UK in the next general election. Yeah, and see, uh, I remember when the leadership spill was taking place and I said on my show, the best possible chance the Tories have is to elect a guy like Boris and it doesn't even matter if you like Boris, it doesn't matter if you have points of disagreement with him, the best chance the Tories have for survival is a guy like Boris who will potentially take on the role of being the quote-unquote Brexit bad guy and just get it done because that's what needs to take place after the last four years or three years or so of Theresa May fucking around. Uh, they couldn't afford to have another person in there trying, oh, we'll do a deal, oh, no, we'll negotiate. I think the people aren't ready for that, and I think you're right. Boris is looking over his shoulder at the Brexit party saying, if, if we don't rip the Band-Aid off now, 
then somebody's going to come around and cut our arm off. And that's why I suspect that Labor, even though they know that large sections of their own support base are for Brexit, I think that's why they're trying to hold it up. Because I would wager that Labor would know that the Brexit party is probably 70% Tory and 30% Labor. So they think their best chance of winning the next election is to is to bomb the chances for Brexit, blame the Tories, and then try to beat the Brexit party. Do you know what I mean? They would wager their chances better if they could destroy the Tory party. If they lose to the Brexit party, then they, they're going to say, all right, well, that's, that's a risk that we took in trying to win this, win this next election. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, you know, it's going to be interesting times come October 31st, so... <laughs> Absolutely. Well, anyway, look, I'll let, you, I'll let you get on the show, Boogie, but um, thanks for taking the call, and uh, hopefully I'll speak to you soon, mate. Absolutely. Call in again. Call in again. All right, Boogie. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, mate. There he goes. UK Neil, ladies and gentlemen. We'll, we'll go right to our next caller here. Uh, Kimmy Jong-un, thanks for joining us. Hey there. How you doing? Good. Can you hear me? Absolutely. I wouldn't have answered you if okay, I couldn't. <laughs> well, that's not true because you tried to answer Neil and you couldn't hear him. Yes, but when <laughs> I... Okay, fair enough. Fine. <laughs> What's on okay. your mind? Okay, I just... I've got a few things I was thinking about. None of them are gigantic, but I thought since you didn't have a whole lot of callers, I could waste some of your time. Sure. Um, okay, so the thing with Corey, living, Mr. Corey. Um, Mr. Corey, yes. Mr. Corey, do you think that, because this is what it seemed to me, that um, that they were just trying to get him to admit that he thinks that the president was attempting to obstruct justice and that they were hoping to use that in the future to say even his own, you know, so-and-so person thinks that he was trying to obstruct justice? Because to me, that's, if that's the only thing that they were really focused on. Yep. That was the only thing that they spoke about all day. That is crazy. But see, that's that's why I was saying that it's a really weak line of attack because, yeah. in it, it like, and this might mean that this is the only thing that they have going as well. But it was so weak because if you're trying to say that this letter is the proof of obstruction of justice, then you also mm-hmm. have to point out in the same sentence that the lever, the letter was never delivered. Right. right, but if if they can get him to admit that you know I didn't deliver it because I knew it was wrong, then he's admitting that the president was attempting to do something wrong. Sure, but he's but not going to do that. It's not a crime, obviously. Yeah. But no, I loved the way he was answering that. That was really funny. He was um, he was doing good. Oh, um, he was very okay, dismissive. <laughs> very dismissive. Dismissive of the whole ordeal. Because I think you think about it, the fourth time that you've had to show up and do this shit show. The fourth time. Right. Right? God. And it's all for desperation. Yep. Yep. And you're just a prop. You're just being used as a prop by these people. Just bombarding you constantly. Yes. And and wasting your time and everybody else's time all for just a lie that they're trying to perpetuate. That just so they can ruin the country, I suppose. This is modern this is modern day campaigning, I think. I think you'll find. This is the modern day campaign. I think you're right. I think that they, they know now that we watch these things because we didn't, when I say we, I mean collectively speaking, we didn't yep. used to care so much about watching it. And so now they're, they had already started grandstanding before, but now it's like, okay, we're grandstanding and campaigning yeah. at the same time. And yep. 100%. Okay. 
so from yesterday, um, the ads that you were showing about the vaping, I mm. think that those ads, and I, I feel like this is an obvious statement, but I feel like those ads were done like months ago before sure. this even became part of the, yeah, because they were so well done. I mean, they were ridiculous. Well, that's, that that's why, I, that's why but, I said, that's why I said, Kim, if you'll remember, it's like they have all of these stories in the top drawer. And then when the moment comes, mm-hmm. bang, you just dump them all like cheap Chinese steel on an unwilling marketplace. Next thing you know, everybody's oh. got cheap Chinese steel going up in their bridges that are collapsing five years later. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, that actually does happen. So, yeah. Do, you might remember this story um, about my cigarettes that I smoke, the clothes. They um, they used to come 20 a pack, like regular cigarettes in America. Mm-hmm. And one day they just suddenly went off the market completely couldn't find them anywhere. And the reason for that was because the filter, the paper on the outside of the filter has a sweet clove flavor. And they were saying that kids, yeah. So kids were supposedly using these clove cigarettes as like the gateway cigarette. (laughs) Oh God. A gateway cigarette. Yeah. I reckon it's like a gateway to maybe the next step is a menthol. I don't know. Um, but but they're not even popular cigarettes. Do you know that if I go out of town, I have to stop at the store in my town. There's only three that sell them here. Mm. I have to stop at one of the three stores in my town that even sell these things and get enough for however long I'm going to be gone because the chances of me finding a pack in another town are slim or I'll have to spend like an hour or more looking for it, looking for them. You wouldn't so have a... You wouldn't... You wouldn't have a good time here in Australia. Do you know that it's actually illegal to display cigarettes even if you own a tobacconist? Say what? <laughs> it's it's illegal to display cigarettes here in Australia. Oh, I heard you. That is ridiculous. Like, that, okay. Yep, so, so in America, we cover our porn. In Australia, you cover your cigarettes. <laughs> cigarette. The, por- <laughs> the, porn, the porn here is on full display. So you... you- <laughs> No, I'm not keen. So you can go into a news agency and see just full frontal nudity, right, at a news agency. And then if you really? – so you, you could – yep, and, you know, you can go in, buy your porn, and then you put it up on the counter, and it's like, oh, sorry, we need to protect you from the cigarette packets. <laughs> no fucking way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and, is so funny. And all of the cigarette packets look the same, regardless of brand, because there's a law here what? that – Yes, because the, the the tobacco companies uh, took the government to court saying that not allowing them to display their brand and their colours and their logo on their packets is a restriction of trade, right? They lost. Okay. So yeah. all of the cigarette packets are like a baby shit brown and they all have pictures on them which are like lungs being cut open or babies dying. <laughs> in No, I swear to God, babies dying in incubators. Uh, people dying of cancer where they're all skinny and stuff. Yeah, that's that's the only Why thing that you're allowed you to put on a cigarette packet. Well, it's I pretty can't depressing. I believe I don't know this yet. Oh, yeah. Of all the things you have told us about Australia, this is definitely, this definitely should have been one of them <laughs> way not, long ago. <laughs> not to mention the tax. So I bought a packet of analogs on my way home. Now, okay. I'll, in Australian dollars, so I bought a 25-pack of cigarettes, and they've just gone up, and the 25-pack of cigarettes cost me $40 Australian, which would be around $30 US for 25 cigarettes. That's bonk. <laughs> Mine are like 5 36 Yeah, I know. 
You can get lucky strikes for like you can, yeah, but you can get lucky strikes for like four bucks a pack, can't you? You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah, maybe less. You can't. Wow. So they took my clothes off the market and then they repackaged them as cigarellos or cig- like baby cigars, what they call them. Yes, cigarellos. And, um, yeah. and now you have to buy them 12 to a pack. Mm-hmm. And they're more tightly packed, which anyone who's watched one of my scopes knows it takes me like an hour and a half to smoke one if I'm talking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> like 20 yeah. 20 minutes if I'm not. And because yeah. they're so tightly packed, they keep going out and all that stuff. But yeah, so that is crazy, though. I want to see. Yeah. Google need, it up. I need to Have see a look. No. Have a look, Australian anyway, cigarette yeah. packets. <laughs> Have a look. You'll you be should bring it up on. You should bring it up on screen. <laughs> well, see, they they think they think that this is going to make us not smoke. If every time we buy a packet of cigarettes, we see a baby dying or lung or heart being <laughs> cut open, right? But actually, now it's just completely desensitized us to violence and sick images. So if you're a smoker, uh, yeah. now, if you're a smoker now in Australia, you you legitimately have these conversations. What did you get? A oh, dying baby in incubator. What did you get? A oh, cancer patient. You know what I mean? And now it's like, huh? It I, like I want Facebook one more card. now. <laughs> yes, I collect them all. Yep. I gotta catch them all. <laughs> exactly. What else have you got for us before I let you go? Okay. Um, I was thinking that perhaps we could give an update on Gary Winthrop. Winthrop. Gary Winthrop. Okay. Well, do you want to save that for your show? Because I think that you have to go more in depth on that one. And I'm not sure I have the time. Okay. 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 You... I can do that. So that'd All be right. Thursday. I was think... Thursday at 11 p.m. Yes. For my favorite thing. Thursday things. at 11 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Gary Which I Winthrop. am thinking about changing the name. So if you want to come up with something um, clever for me, I'm not loving it anymore. You're not you're not loving your favorite things anymore because eventually you're going to run out, right? Oh, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Okay. I well, you're very to ask optimistic. You and Jason, your favorite thing. <laughs> well, well, everything is my favorite thing. Well, you're very easily pleased. Perhaps. I am. That's why I keep trying to tell my husband, but he does not believe me yet. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right. We'll let you get back to baby. Yeah, she just walked in. All right, well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Call next time. All right, I probably will. Okay. <laughs> See you later. There she goes. So thanks to our callers. Thanks for joining us. Um, gee, I, there's a couple of ways I could go here. I have a couple of good stories and a couple of really fun videos, but I think we'll save that for tomorrow night. We might wrap it up there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Hope you enjoyed our little breakdown of today's proceedings and the impeachment. Thank you to UK Neil and Kimmy Jong-un for calling in. I'll be back tomorrow night again at 6pm for another edition of the Daily Boogie. And it's going to be more fun. I've got some really whacked out. I've, I've, collected a, I've collected a cabal of crazies from around different various corners of the internet. So we're going to have a good time tomorrow night if you can join us at 6pm. Uh, thank you for sharing the show out. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to complain about our cigarette taxes, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Don't forget to follow our friends at real person PLTCS and at Chris MC 44. I'll be back in the wee small hours, hours of the morning with Greeno for at the starting block. One word, drop the K at the end. 
I'm sure most of you will be asleep, so you won't be missing much. Uh, until tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, stay calm, stay rational. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.